This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, September 17th, 2012. I'm Caleb Brown. It's easy to talk about what you would do in the face of an oppressive government determined to keep you from enjoying freedom. It's quite another to do it. David Bowes at Cato University in August detailed some of the everyday heroism that helped hasten the fall of the Berlin Wall more than 20 years ago. This story starts about 30 years ago. And I always wonder, for the youngest people in the audience, how much of the backstory do I need to tell? Once upon a time, the world was divided by an iron curtain into a more or less free world and a completely unfree world, the world of the Soviet Union and communist China. And in 1978, as part of the Cold War, the United States decided it should place nuclear weapons in Europe. And understandably, the communists in Central Europe and Eastern Europe didn't like this idea. And the East German communists encouraged their people to protest. They were very big on protest in East Germany. If you wanted to come out and protest against the United States, you could do that. So they wanted to encourage protests, and people did come out, and they marched. No nuclear weapons in Europe. But some of these people started talking about peace and what it meant. And a small peace movement grew up based in the remaining Protestant churches, which were attended mostly by old women. There were a few Protestant churches, Lutheran churches still there. And some people started going to these churches and praying for peace, and they prayed against nuclear weapons in Europe, but they also started praying against mandatory army service in East Germany and against military classes that their children had to attend in grade school. And that was not what the East German government had in mind, and they started watching and persecuting these activists. But there was still a little bit of protection for the church. They they would not go inside the church to break these things up. And over the next few years, people started organizing Monday evening prayers for peace at St. Nicholas Church, Nikolai Kirka, in Leipzig, the second largest city in East Germany, the church where Martin Luther once preached against power and corruption and autocracy. And under constant pressure from the East German state, attendance shrank to fewer than 10 regulars by the mid-1980s, but it was the only place you could express any dissent, and slowly attendance started to grow. And then Gorbachev's reforms gave people some optimism that maybe there was going to be some space and some openness. And so people were attending the Monday evening peace prayers. By 1989, the agents of the Stasi were monitoring nearly 200 separate citizens groups. Also, the regime never managed to block West German television broadcasts, so young people wanted the lives they saw on television from the West. In 1987, hundreds of teens gathered in Berlin chanting, the wall must go, because they wanted to attend a David Bowie concert. American conservatives who used to complain about sex, drugs, and rock and roll didn't realize that rock and roll might end up having more influence on the other side of the Iron Curtain than it did here. So on May 7, 1989, they had local elections in East Germany. Now, we in the West knew that 
elections in the communist countries were a complete farce. 99% of the people turned out to vote, and 99% of them voted for the Communist Party. And in East Germany, people were told that's, that's what an election is, that's what happened. We knew it was fraudulent, but a lot of them maybe didn't. And so coming out of these churches, some people said, let's be election observers. We'll volunteer to go out and, and watch the voting, and we'll come back to the church at night and compare the results. And they discovered there appeared to have been fraud. Not that many people voted. Some people said they didn't vote for the Communist Party. So they, they became aware there's something wrong here. And then the summer of 1989, the crackdown in Tiananmen Square was a reminder to people in Germany of what communist states can do when they're provoked. And there was no precedent for a peaceful transfer of power in the communist world. And the minister of the Nikolai Kirko, looking back on this a few years later, said it wasn't imaginable that the communist state would end. And fear of a Chinese solution grew among people, a crackdown. But Gorbachev continued to send signals that the Soviet Union would no longer interview, intervene in domestic politics in their client states. And so maybe there was some space. And that summer, 1989, Hungary relaxed its border restrictions in the summer. They allowed you to cross from Hungary to Austria. And thousands of Germans who were vacationing in Hungary, because it was also behind the Iron Curtain, discovered you could drive across the border to Austria, a German-speaking country where you could say anything you wanted to. Other East Germans went to Prague and somehow picked Prague as the place where they would climb over the fence of the West German embassy, putting themselves legally onto West German territory. And after a summer break, all this stuff is going on. People are thinking, instead of 10 people or 100 people, thousands of people showed up at the Nikolai Kirka on Monday, September 4th, 1989. And I must say, I was around. I was listening, watching the TV. We didn't know what was happening. We knew, we read on the page 13, that there were these protests going on in the church in Germany. We knew that the Hungarian border had been opened. It, I can remember it was a story this big. Um, but we didn't know what was about to happen. Thousands of people showed up. A few days later, in front of Western TV cameras that had come to Leipzig for a trade show, young protesters unfurled a banner demanding freedom of travel. The minister remembers that the Stasi ripped it down and tackled the kids. And millions of East Germans saw that on West German TV. And a week later, in the St. Nicholas Church, the crowd doubled. And in response to the people leaving through Hungary and Prague, these people chanted, Wir bleiben hier. We're staying here. Monday demonstrations began to be held at Lutheran churches all across East Germany. The next Monday night, 15,000 people marched in Leipzig. They were pouring out of the church and marching around the ring road that circles the inner city of Leipzig. They were carrying candles, marching for peace. And on October 9th, 
The police knew things were getting bigger, and they prepared to deal with 20,000 protesters, unprecedented, in the Soviet Empire. But as the crowd poured out of the church, and I've been in that church, there weren't very many people inside the church, so when they say the crowd poured out of the church, they mean, and out of all the squares nearby. As the crowd poured out of the church and began to march around the ring road, more than 70,000 Leipzigers joined this demonstration. And the minister, looking back on it, recalls this was 70,000 people who didn't know if they'd come home intact or see their families again. It was a heroic and enormous act of moral courage. And slowly the crowd began walking around Leipzig's Ring Road, and the police looked for orders. And they looked to their captains, and the captains looked to the telephone, and no orders came. And the police backed off. They let the people march. And that was the end of communism in East Germany, although nobody knew it that night. The next week on October 16th, 150,000 people marched. The week after that, it was 300,000 as people came from all over East Germany to march in Leipzig. And the party leadership fell, not the party state, but the leaders of the party fell. They no longer had support. And on Saturday, November 4th, more than 500,000 people marched, not in Leipzig, but in East Berlin. And five days later, the Berlin Wall, the wall that was a permanent part of my childhood and young adulthood, the wall built to keep people in, was opened, sort of by accident, because they didn't realize what was going on. And millions of people were suddenly, amazingly, free. And a few years later, I had the honor to meet Wolfgang Tiefensee, who had been active in those protests, who had been the mayor of Leipzig and was by then a member of the German cabinet. He told me he'd been mayor of Leipzig, and I said to him, were you involved in the protests? And he said, oh yes. From September 1989, and I hope you know what the Bible tells us, we walked seven times around the city and then the wall came down, seven times from September until November 1989. And the minister of an East Berlin church who was involved in this whole process looks back on the events and says, no outside force could have done this. That would have meant war. What happened was a self-liberation. Soft water breaks the hardest stone. There is no army, no state, no government program that is as powerful as an idea whose time has come. But it's up to people to make the idea's time come. I was asked once by some skeptics of libertarianism what the most important libertarian accomplishment ever was. And I thought for a moment and said the abolition of slavery. Okay, they said, what else? I thought the abolition of slavery was pretty good. <laughs> but they said, name another one. So I thought a little more carefully and said, bringing power under the rule of law. That 
is the fundamental liberal or libertarian accomplishment. It was a revolutionary achievement. It revolutionized the world, but it remains incomplete. It's what the protesters in 1989 fought for. It's what Mao Yuxi and Chen Guangchang and thousands of other Chinese protesters fight for today. It is what we fight for. Thank you for being part of that historic and ongoing struggle. Thank you and good night. David Bowes is executive vice president at the Cato Institute. You can read more of his work at cato.org.